lobotomy, not a current day lobotomy. So I'm reading the account. They're saying they gave her a mild tranquilizer. Like they didn't put her out. They cut a big hole in her head and they stuck something in that was basically like a butter knife. And the mm. way they figured out how much brain to take out was they had her recite the Lord's Prayer and God Bless America. And then the huh. worse she got at it, that's how much they kept. That was their huh. gauge for how much brain to remove. You mean once she stopped reciting it, they knew they had enough brain out. Or reciting it so slow that yeah. or they told her to count backwards. Whatever. They got her to a point where they're like, okay, now she's dumb enough. You can sew her up. Wow. Yeah, yeah well, and supposedly the way that, that, that the Kennedy girl, Rosemary, got slow was that um, when, when, when the mother was going into labor, when she was carrying Rose, um. I guess the doctor was not immediately available to help with the delivery. And although the nurse was trained to deliver babies, they tried to halt the birth to, to wait for to the wait doctor's for the arrival. Because doctor? after all, a Kennedy was being born. And, oh, my God. And so they ordered the mom to keep her legs closed and forced the baby's head to stay in the birth canal for two hours. Oh. And uh, so uh, there was a loss of oxygen. And so Rose, Rose Marie ended up being a slow adult. So, you know, the whole thing was just, her whole life was just fucked. That's a little, I don't know. We couldn't era. We could not era tolerate. Close your legs. (laughs) Era. Uh, I remember the nurse said, close uh, your legs, mother. (laughs) (laughs) That was the famous story. Mother closed her legs. No one could breathe. (laughs) And believe me, that was one hairy bush on that woman. Era, very difficult. I remember coming out of mother and thinking I was in the, Amazon jungle. The there was deepest so much of the, <laughs> That's the right, deepest Era. darkest jungle. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget the day. After all, we are Kennedy. And we cannot be shamed. And we could not have failure. So Rosemarie was a tremendous failure in our family. And I'll never forget the day. Father came to the dinner table. He said, Era. We all say Era. Our Boston uh, roots. Era. Father said, "Era, there's been a horrible era." He said. He said he actually used "era" twice. He went, "There's been a horrible era, era." <laughs> and and he said, "Era, because uh, Rosemary is slow, she's having sexual craving." I caught her shoving crayons in her vagina. And father said, "That's it. We're removing her brain with a butter knife." Uh, uh, yes, and she was never uh, the same, but the family suffered no shame. Many people wonder what we did with her brain when we removed it. We actually, you know, the family loved to play football, so we threw it around <laughs> like a football. We all went out on the lawn and had a tremendous party. Uh, That's right. <laughs> Father always said that uh, he was a great statesman and a great orator. He said, Era, touch your clit, and your brain gets slit. <laughs> and Era, we all knew that we never, ever should be caught having sex. Well, I, I tell you, it straightened out the rest of those girls in the Kennedy family, didn't it? Oh, yes. They never, <laughs> yes. But us boys, we were free to play. <laughs> Era, I even had underwater activities with women. <laughs> Uh, father used to fuck mother very, very much. We have many, many children in the Kennedy family. Yeah. Yeah, right, yes. 
It was quite uh, the scene. But uh, 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 the Kennedys, we were very, very upset when Rosemarie started to act out sexually and, and talk about sex. We were afraid yeah. it would embarrass the family. Yeah. And the doctor, when we went to the doctor, he said, we have to cut out the part of the brain that makes pussy juice. <laughs> and I thought that was rather crude, but it did work. And then and, your uh, sister started the Special Olympics. That was uh, kind of wild. Uh, yes, yes. Well, we, we set that up. We had cut out so much <laughs> of her brain. There was very little left for her to do. Uh, father used Rosemary's brain as a paperweight on his desk. I'll never forget that. That freaked me out a little bit. Yeah. Well, that was yeah. a warning, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, go, you get too out of line in this family. Uh, but thank God that father never cut out my brain. I was free to get as much pussy as I could get. And, uh, <laughs> pussy was my I thing. don't know why you you escaped. <laughs> Remember what I used to say, a blonde in every pond. <laughs> no one thought that was funny. No. I stuck up for Rosemary. A lot of people don't know that, and I hope history shows it. Uh, what did you do? And, uh, I said to father, why are you removing her brain? Why don't we just sew her pussy shut? <laughs> and father said, you keep quiet, Ted. And no one asked your opinion. We're not going to sew Rosemary's pussy shut because she could still blow guys. Oh. And, uh, and I said, you're right, father. I mean, I would never cross father. He had all the do-re-me. I was not wanting to be cut out of his will. No That's one stood right. up to father. That's right. <laughs> Father didn't want to hear about it. Father was so busy fucking so many hoods, he didn't have time for Rosemarie to be touching herself in the bedroom. And wasn't it w odd that he wound up having a stroke and hardly being yeah, able to speak? You mean father? Yes. yes. Yeah, right. Yes. yes. We should have removed his brain. <laughs> That's right. Yes. I thought it was severe to take Rosemarie's brain out of her head just because she was touching herself. I did. <laughs> uh, 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 well, where were those other brothers, you know, they with the loud mouths? Oh, Brother John was on a PT boat, and what did he say? He goes, Ara, uh, why don't we just put crazy glue in her tampon? <laughs> he always had a good mind, my brother. My brother John had his brain removed, too, except it was by Lee Harvey Oswald in a single right. bullet. There was a lot of brain uh, uh, damaging in that family. Yeah, uh, yes. We tried to keep Rosemarie at home after her brain surgery, but it was impossible. There were there was so many buckets of drool. We, we were constantly um, <laughs> removing the bucket and Changing putting a new bucket. Her bucket. That's right. Uh, uh, and then I remember we had a big meeting about Rose Marie. Her brain was gone now. We had removed it. <laughs> never touched herself after that, though. It worked. That's right. Those hands never traveled south again. You must understand the times. Times were different. Rose Marie could have, if people found out that a slow adult was touching herself in the Kennedy family, my brother Joe might not be able to run for Congress. It could have been a big scandal. And so there we had Ro Rosemary's brain removed, so she wouldn't touch herself. And, 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 and Father said, we have to put her in the institution. After all, there's buckets of drool all over here. <laughs> and, then, and then Joe, who was running for Congress, said, Father, 
why don't we just sell her to the circus? Oh. Era, era, and my father said that would be a scandal. That's but right. You, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't believe this conversation you're having with Ted Kennedy, who, by the way, is dead. I don't understand what you're doing. Dead, but right. we're having a lively conversation. Era, yes. <laughs> it was horrible. We removed Rosemary's brain, took her home from the hospital. She had a period of time for convalescence. She started to drool shortly after the operation. We were walking around in galoshes in the house. <laughs> Father got drool buckets, but it didn't help. Era, it was horrible. So then she had to go away for good. And Rosemary, it was oh. wrong. She was high functioning. Era, but after her. Not her after op- that butter knife. Well, after the butter knife, all she could say was, Era, 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 era. <laughs> no, all she remembered was era, 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 era. She was right. There was an era. Era. That's it. Somebody should have listened. You had a smacker on the back of a head to get her to stop saying era. It was quite annoying. <laughs> <laughs> no, Between that and the drool, you had, to, you had to get rid of her. Mother didn't want to let her go to the institution. No. She said, let's put a leash on her and pass her off as the family dog. <laughs> and father said, no, that would embarrass the family. Uh, Era, we Kennedys love our women quiet and not drooling. I if don't you know can't abide so by those rules, we drown her. you. What? But I don't know why you were so nervous about her getting pregnant. Era, oh, goodness, there are 50 billion Kennedys now. Can you imagine the scandal if Rosemary had gotten pregnant? <laughs> Era, it would have undone the entire Kennedy dynasty. <laughs> dynasty? Era, that's right. That's right. That's how we say it in Boston. <sighs> Era, nowadays wow. when slow adults have uh, sexual feelings, Era, the family just buys them a dildo and closes the door. <laughs> It would have been one thing. You could have just taken her sexual organs. You did that anyway. We did. We tried have... it all. Yeah, but she would never have gotten pregnant. You could have left her brain alone. Ever? Yes, but she touched herself. <laughs> Our fingers smelled like fish. We can't have that. We're Kennedy. Ever, ever imagine if Rose Marie had acted out sexually. How do you what would have happened? Scandal? What would have happened? You acted out sexually. John Era acted sh- out sexually. Era Robert sh- acted out sexually. Era sh- Era <laughs> sh- Era, we had to remove her brain immediately. Low adults touching themselves. We can't have it. Era, Era. Oh, the drool was unbelievable in the house. That's why we had her institutionalized. What did they do terrible. with the drool? Did they have a system for that? Era, they had um, uh, orderlies who their whole job was to remove drool. <laughs> what a life. Era, yeah. I remember before we removed my sister's brain, she was the horniest Kennedy. She would go through the house, Era, and sit on every object in the house <laughs> the toaster, the banister, the lamp. Era, everything. How can you have that and be a Kennedy? Uh, my brother, you know, for years people said, my brother John, who went on to be president, had a terrible back condition. Very, very bad back. Era, 
it's because when Rosemary was living with us after the operation, he slipped on her drool. Oh. Era. Yes. That's how he hurt his back, and he never recovered. He was on barbiturates. Uh, yeah, yes. It was brutal. We could not be embarrassed by having a slow adult in our family. We're Kennedy. Yeah, you guys are a, a bevy of contradictions, aren't you? Well, back then we removed her brain. Maybe today we would have handled it differently. But, era, uh, the butter knife did the trick. No more touching <laughs> herself, I'll tell you that. No more anything, I don't think. That's right. Era, era, era. Went well, a little we too are... far, that butter knife. Yeah. Can I tell you? Assholes. My sister used to use an egg beater on our pussy. All that pussy juice rotted the egg beater. We couldn't have eggs in the family. Yeah, that was one of the biggest scandals that has been completely brushed aside. Yeah. The Kennedys took their daughter, who basically, she wasn't even that slow. No. And it they, wasn't like she didn't function. Right. But can you imagine in today's political environment? Oh, forget it. If that, but although maybe you just say fake news and then uh, you know, we didn't remove yeah. our brain. Yes, but now I mean it's a red badge of courage to have a child with special needs. Yes. Uh. Yes, the Kennedys know about special needs. <laughs> my sister was slow, and we slowed her down even more. <laughs> way to go! Way to go, the Kennedy way. That's crazy. So, yeah, that's what I thought about when you started talking about Britney Spears and this is happening to her because she's female. I was like, that's yeah, exactly you know, what it is. Wind up in mental institutions just for being yep. different. Yeah. Go through history. Britney Spears having a conservator. You know, Charlie Sheen doesn't have a conservator. Kanye doesn't have a conservator. Um, you know, I can name a bunch of people who you, are a lot of people who've won and uh, lost fortunes. You know, this is all to protect Britney's fortune. But we yeah. know plenty of people who've lost money, plenty of men who have lost their entire careers. Era, be quiet, Robin. You're rabble rousing. <laughs> what, what, what are you, a member of Rage Against the Machine? Bad <laughs> with you. Go back to wherever you were, Ted. <laughs> Remember, all right, I'll leave you with this. We Kennedys were interested in fast women, not slow women. <laughs> oh. Think about okay. it. Okay. All right. Hey, anyway, I'll take a break. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Let me tell you, someone should remove Robin's yes. brain. Uh, that, that brain's going to get her in trouble and get you in trouble, Howard. All right. Thank you. I'll take my, I'll take my chances. Uh, hey, I'll, uh, I want to talk to Tom Morello. I've been excited to talk with him. Legendary uh, guitar player, fantastic guitar player. Oh my God, great songwriter. I listened to him on lithium. Listened to him just the other day. It was the uh, he does like a he does a show on lithium. Should check yeah, it out. It's this really good. Show. I was. Uh, I heard I it. Listened to that last night. You were busy. All right. No, well, I was uh, listening to their videos and watching right. their videos. You, they didn't you, put you, the uh, camera on him enough. That's what bothered me. Your problem is you got into that Rage Against the Machine music <laughs> and you, you broke your tooth. That's right. It was <laughs> quite a night. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm very excited to have Tom Morello on the show. I'm a big fan of Tom Morello. I especially love him on Lithium. 
which is a channel here on Sirius XM. He does a regular show on there, and it is fabulous. I highly recommend it to my audience. Hey, Tom, how are you? Hey, what's going on, Howard? How are you, man? A pleasure to have you here. I've been talking it up. I, I just love that show that you do on Lithium. You've turned me on to so much music, and I particularly like uh, when you give me a little fact or something in your life that relates to these artists. It's just incredibly effective. The, the show's well, great. Well, thanks. Yeah, I've I've heard uh, you know secondhand that you talk about that show from time to time, and I do really appreciate it. That's awesome. Thanks. By the way, the first thing I'm noticing is uh, I don't know where you are. You're, you, I guess you're at home in my quarantine. Yeah, at home, my studio. Yeah. And um, I was thinking I've seen that picture with you, and uh, I guess it's Bruce Springsteen and you doing uh, that. Looks like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concert. Was I it? I think that no, it's actually was we were on tour in Australia. I think we're singing the wow. Ghost of Tom Joe there on tour in Australia. Yeah. Whenever I watch that performance, I watch the one on uh, YouTube that has uh, you and Bruce at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. And I feel like Bruce gets such a charge out of you when you're playing guitar and singing with him. I, I, I love that song, but there's some kind of energy between you two guys. I, I, yeah. I, I almost yeah. think, I think like he wants you to be in his, like, I think he, like, he wants to form a super group with you. You know what I mean? Like, he wants to. <laughs> well, I, I, I played in the band on and off for six years. First of all, hi, Robin. How's it going? How are hi you? there. I'm good. Nice I'm good. It's good nice to see, see you. you. Nice to see you. Uh, yeah. So the first time that we, I'm, I'm not a casual Bruce Springsteen fan. You know, like I, right. I, I came to it late. I grew up on like metal and punk and then hip hop. I discovered him kind of late, but then when I did discover him, I went all in um and then we became acquainted and um it wasn't really until rage against the machine covered that song the ghost of tom jo the original ghost of tom joad is like an acoustic ballad from his acoustic record then rage did like a uh you know ramped up sabbathy version of that song um you know and then bruce and that's when we really became acquainted and i knew him for about eight years before we ever played together uh, but what do you mean? So, you be, did you become acquainted because Rage was doing one of his songs and he reached out uh, well, to you and said, his, I like it? His, his, his sister Pam is a rock photographer, so I sort of kind of knew him through, knew his sister. And, but I was a super fan. Like, I would see him, you know, at like the Sony party and have to restrain myself from kissing his head. That was like the, you know, the extent of our <laughs> friendship at the time. Right. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, he was, by making, the way, I think, by the way, when you, but like when you talk about you being a Bruce Springsteen fan, don't you get like the Bruce Springsteen fanzine and the uh, the letter yeah, yeah. or whatever? Yeah, my, right. yeah, like I mean, we've been friends for a long time, but it's it's he is the only friend that I have to which I subscribe to a fanzine about, you know. So it's like, but like, but is it weird? Like when you're hanging out with Bruce and you're recording or or doing a live yeah. show, do you have to? control your enthusiasm to be cool <laughs> like to like I, so that you I, don't become this I asshole would say the, who, i would say the first the first you know 20 times or so maybe that but it has gotten to the place where it is it is it is more comfortable but the first time we actually played that song was in in 2008 and he was making the magic record with brendan o'brien i stopped by the studio and he said you know tommy you should come play with the e street band sometime he said it as an offhand remark and i took it as scripture so the next time <laughs> the, the next time they were in in anaheim i you know i called him up the day before and said like uh, remember when you said I should jam with the E Street Band? How about tomorrow night? And we agreed on Ghost of Tom Joe. Now, at the time, the only version of his that existed was the plaintive minor key ballad, right? So I drive down there. Um, he says, come at four. I'll rehearse the band. You come on stage, and we'll work it out. When I get down there, now, I have was as nervous for this as I've ever been for anything in, in my life. I've played many shows in many arenas and stadiums and things like that i've never been more nervous than prior to this rehearsal explain so to me nervous because you're a masterful musician in other words you know yeah. you're going there you're going to play the, yeah. the ghost of tom joad i'm have over you, rehearsed for it 
I'm over, am I over I rehearse all night. And what do you do? Do you put the record on and play along with yeah. it? Is that how yeah, you rehearse? All night, all night long. Because he's a, I, like I, he's, uh, Bruce has been to some of my night watchman shows. I sing as a folk acoustic troubadour so, as well. Solo, he's yeah, been to, yeah. yeah, he's been to those shows. So he says, I want you to sing it too. So I'm like, all right. So I just practice his record up and down acoustic and electric. I get down there. I'm down in catering. I hear the band rehearsing it. And to my surprise, Bruce has raised the key of the song by eight <laughs> steps. <laughs> now, now I no longer can play it and I no longer can sing it because I've got this, you know, kind of rich milk chocolate baritone voice and it's too, it's too high for me now. So I go up there and I'm on stage and I don't know the chords and I can't hit the notes. And it's my first time with my favorite artist on the stage right. and it's not going great. So Steve Van Zant, lovely dude, he comes over and he's like, you know, the way Steve, he's like, baby, baby, you know, like, I'm like, babe, there's no baby. It's bad right. baby because I don't know how to play the song, <laughs> but they don't call Bruce Springsteen the boss for nothing. So Bruce comes over. He recognizes my anxiety. He puts a hand on my shoulder. He says, Tommy. First of all, I think I love the fact that Bruce Springsteen calls me Tommy. It's awesome. <laughs> Does anyone else call awesome. you Tommy? Besides my him? mom. My mom calls uh, me Tommy. He puts uh, his hand on my shoulder, looks me in the eye. He says, we're going to do it in this key, and it's going to be great. And I'm like, okay, well, thanks, Jedi Master Yoda. But I still don't know how to play it or sing it. But it does right. calm my nerves. And I recognize that there's, there's like 15 people in the E Street Band. They know the chords. I don't need to worry about that. Can right. I sing a song of social justice and meaning? Yes, I can. Can I play a guitar solo? I can do that too. So right. they surprised me with the key. So I decide to have a little surprise for the E Street Band. During the rehearsal on the stage, during sound check, I don't give anything away in the solo. I just play straight like Chuck Berry blues licks, you know, through, through right. the whole time. I pedal. I pedal. Downstairs, I'm down there, half a bottle of Jameson later. It's my turn to come up. I walk on the stage and we played a version of the song that really took us all completely by surprise. And it was electric. And the thing that Bruce, Bruce is very generous in that, you know, I'm playing this crazy solo and he's just like, keep going, keep going, keep going. It's 82 bars. The roof comes off the place. And we looked at each other and I was like, Bruce, uh, you were right about the key after all. <laughs> What's the right well, key for the song? there's so many thoughts I have about that because you're right. Your solo is out of this world on that song because it, you know, it, it comes out of left field. It's yeah. like, it, it's just so fucking original. I think you got Bruce Springsteen so goddamn amped up during that performance. And this solo was like. It's almost like a police siren going off in the background. That's not amazing. To me. No. Yeah. I mean, and he he looks so happy being there on that stage with you. you t <laughs> I mean, what a great moment for you to take this guy who you idolize, who you worship, yeah. and to please him in that way. Yeah. And well, it was, you know, I mean, his audience, too, his audience, too, is like, un, you know, generally probably unfamiliar with my work, you know, so right. it took like... A, you know, a lifetime of crazy guitar playing like that and put it into a, you know, a seven minute song on one night. And then we played over the course of the next six years, you know, I became like sort of a, a an accessory to the E Street Band over the course of, and we played right. all of that song and all around the world. The one thing I will say, like Bruce's commitment to excellence is complete. You know, it, it's complete. Like, and, and 
people are very excited. They fly over the, all around the world. We see the same fans in the front row in Perth, Australia, and in Peoria, Illinois. But no one is more excited to be in that room on that night than Bruce Springsteen is, you know? And, you know, and it was a challenge, too, because, like, in, in, in my bands and whatnot, it's, it's um, you know, there's a, you, you practice the songs, there's a set, it, it varies a little bit night to night. With Bruce, there's no, you have no idea what the next song is going to be. No one in the room. I had no idea. Sometimes he changed the first song of the set. Like there's no but how possible can the, way to know. Tom, explain to me the difference between um, an amateur musician and a professional musician like yourself. Because to me, I can't comprehend that. In other words, let's say, you know, Bruce Springsteen calls an audible on stage. Yeah, and, like and, every, you know, every like, other song. Yeah. But but how does that work? Okay, it's great yeah, when it works yeah. out the way it works on The right. Ghost of Tom right. Joad. I mean, you're kind right. of ready. But, yeah, but I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you? Well, let's, how do you, I will explain to you. It is not. It is not a skill that's in my wheelhouse. It's one of the reasons why the E Street Band is great. Is that it's, a, it's like a bar band skill. Like they've played every song by every artist since they were fifteen years old. So they have this kind of catalog. I don't have that catalog. That's not how I like. Uh, that's not my wheelhouse. Before the tour, I had to learn two hundred and fifty songs. I learned two hundred fifty songs just to just to be prepared, you know, for whatever would come. And it wasn't enough. Like it wasn't enough. He would take he would take um, requests from the audience. So people hold up signs, and it could be a song that's not by Bruce Springsteen. You know, like so I, how do you? Like, oh, but but how do you? How do you? In other words, orchestrate that on stage? Will you yeah. go? I don't know the next chord here. Do you stop <laughs> playing and let the rest? Like, yeah. The craziest thing is like I I I got that like your ear takes over you know and and I you know I've played guitar twenty thousand hours fifty thousand hours in my life by this point right. so you have there's some intuition as to what's going to happen but I remember like there'd be times where it would be someone would hold up a sign that said you know Van Morrison's Brown Eyed Girl now that's a song I heard on the radio in the eighties you know <laughs> <You're> right <laughs> and then the, so and then the next then then you know how long I have to learn it one two three four and then you're playing it huh. like and then play the first chord right now. In a, in a stadium in Melbourne or somewhere. But I did. So what I, is the me- chord? What, what is the first <laughs> chord to Brown Eyed Girl? You don't I, know. I, I, that. Maybe I looked over at Nils Lofgren and he like, and he right. mouthed E minor or whatever it is. Whatever. Um, <laughs> right. But, but I, on the, on the last tour, the last U.S. North American run, this is how nuts it got. In, in 34 shows, we played 182 different songs. I mean, I'm not, Jesus. I don't know, I'm not an algebra expert, but that's a lot, there's a lot coming at you. On the last, one of the last shows, there, the, of the first seven songs in the set, six of them had never been played by the E Street Band ever in their history. Wow. And the seventh one, which they had played once before, was Jump by Van Halen. So like, <laughs> that's how, that's how like, the, the, the arrows in the quiver were many during that tour. How does the dynamic work? I know Bruce is the boss. But yep. if, you know, that's a band where it, again, I'm an amateur. I, I, I'm not even an amateur. I don't know. I'm just a fan. Um, you got so many guys playing guitar on that stage. You got yes. Bruce. Yes. You got uh, yes. little Steven. You got, you yes. know, it's almost like a traffic jam of guitars. Yes. When you come on and start like touring with the band and kind of become this unofficial member, is honestly, do you feel any resentment on these guys' parts? In other words, hey, we're a tight band. Why is Bruce bringing this guy in as much well, fun I mean, as it may be for first Bruce? Of all, they're, they're, they're lovely dudes and complete professionals. And, right. you know, and I think that when you're, when you're a side, like Bruce Springsteen has been in charge of the E Street Band for a long time. Like when Bruce says we play the song in E, we play the song in E, you know, and, and they are right. consummate professionals in that regard and so helpful to me, you know, on the, 
you know, learning songs and whatnot, just tremendously helpful. Um, but I, but I will say that like, I've never been, I never had aspirations to be a sideman in somebody else's band. Like Bruce Springs is the only per like I like to be in a band of, of equals or to be a, a solo project where I'm calling the shots, but to really like kind of go, okay, this is his, we're, we're here to sort of support that vision. At the same time, I could not constrain myself, you know, and I'd knock on the door and go, how about we open up with lucky town tonight? And you know, and he was very open. I think he liked the fact that, you know, I, you know, I've been making set list too for 30, 30 years. But I'll tell you that yeah. one of the funniest, one of the funniest intersections that we were playing in, um, we were actually playing in Perth, Australia, uh, which is the home of Bon Scott, the singer of ACDC, right? So right. the night before the show, uh, I go to the graveyard where Bon Scott is interred and I'm looking for his, it took a, take a, takes a while to find his grave and it's kind of spooky out there. And I'm there with a friend and this guy, like in a, in a, German motorcycle helmet in a motorcycle is coming through the graveyard at 11 o'clock at night. He's wearing a shirt that says, I don't give a shit, but if I did, you're the one that I'd give it to. So I'm like, this guy is going to know where Bon Scott's grave is. Right. And, and why and sure were you enough, going to Bon Scott's grave? Did you feel like you just wanted to be a fan? Okay, good. Huge, I want right. to pay my respects. Huge ACDC. Right. So anyway, we, we pay our respects to the grave. I go back to the hotel and Bruce and some of the fellows are sitting in the, sitting in the bar. I'm like, Bruce, do you think that there is some, where were the intersection of the circle of the E Street Band and the circle of ACDC overlap? And he's like, I think there might be. He goes up to his room. The next day we rehearse ACDC's Highway to Hell, which in one of my favorite concert moments in history, we're in Melbourne, in the soccer stadium in Melbourne. We open the show in Australia with ACDC is, of course, an Australian band. We open the show in Australia with Highway to Hell, with Eddie Vedder as a guest lead singer on the song. And like, oh if you can imagine, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Wow. What a moment. Yeah. yeah. What a moment. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. You know, what is it like though? You know, you make a good point. You could never, with what, what knowledge I have of your career, you could never say to Bruce, okay, Bruce, you know, I'm going to acquiesce here and I'm just going to become a, a permanent member and support your vision. And, 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 but like, but Nils Lofgren did that. Nils had a pretty fucking successful career when he joined the E Street Band. And yeah, yet he was, yeah. he was willing to say, you know what? Screw my individual vision. Yeah. I'm going to go be Bruce Springsteen's guitar player. Yeah. Uh, he also played a, for years with Neil Young as well, but he's like, yeah. he's very, very versatile and like one of the loveliest. He, like he was so helpful. He's the guy. Nils is the guy. Like we, we sound check and rehearse pretty much every day. You know, you're there for an hour or two before the show or before, yeah. you know, to practice every day. Nils is there an hour or two before everybody else. Wow. You know, he's there, you know, going through anything that might possibly, possibly come up. So as good as he is, he still yeah, yeah, goes he there to, an hour yeah. or two yeah, and, I wants mean, to, and wants to be great that night. I mean, that's years a, ago. It was really a fun, fun experience. Anyway, I'm six foot five and you know how tall Nils is. I played basketball against Nils one on one and he kicked <laughs> my ass. I, I had one basket. He that doesn't me. surprise me. That doesn't oh, surprise me. He's so dexterous. humiliating. It was really horrible. It's really embarrassing. <laughs> it was nuts. So in other words, that to, you know, to me, when I look back on your career from the outside, you were one of those guys, even that guy from uh, Tool who you were in a band with years ago when you were in like high Adam school. Adam Jones. He, yeah. Yeah. He always jokes that you were a shitty guitar player that, I was. He, you know, when it's you not, went off to college, joke, yeah. yeah, when you went off to college and I, you know. I don't know how many people know this, but Tom w went to um, Harvard, which impresses the fuck out of me that you went to Harvard. But it's amazing to me. You took your years at Harvard and you said, you know what? I fucked up. I started guitar late. I started at <laughs> 17 years old. That's right. And fuck it. 
when I go to Harvard, screw these classes. I'm going to sit in my goddamn dorm room and practice eight hours a day to, and will yourself to be a great guitar player. You yeah, weren't a yeah. naturally gifted musician, not which at is all. mind blowing. I, not at all. Not at all. I started, yeah, I started at 17 years old. I had only heard of one other guitar player in history who had made albums who started that late and it was robert johnson he had to sell his right. soul to the devil to get good so with my <laughs> yeah. with my catholic upbringing that was kind of a, that was uh that was not a not an option so what i did but i didn't i mean the, the thing that was challenging was i didn't say fuck it to my studies i pursued an honors major at the same time while i was the only uh, not due to any great genius of my own but no one from my town had ever applied to harvard university before so i was the first right. one to ever to ever go and so i didn't want to like kind of let everybody down you know i i had a calling to play rock and roll and i knew it was a call, like a full-on zealous passionate calling but at the same time you know i was kind of a standard bearer <laughs> and had to you know i had to succeed academically there as well so it i mean it precluded any sort of social life but i was practicing you know four six eight hours every day without fail without missing it i could have a fever of 102, an exam at eight in the morning, and I get my, you know, four hours in, not three hours and 58 minutes. It was obsessive compulsive in a way that I don't necessarily recommend to young And what was like the, that. what was the thought behind that? In other words, you said, I want to be, I'm going to will myself to be a professional musician. Yeah. This is something I could see myself doing. I might yeah. not have it yet, but if I do eight hours a day, and yes, was yeah. it, was it, was there a lesson? Was there a teacher involved or was it just yeah. you sitting there with records? I, I knew I was behind, you know, I knew I was behind, I was, and, but, and I was going, I was also determined to be self-taught. You know, I did have one lesson from, uh, a guy by the, uh, uh, in Highland Park, Illinois, there was a little music shop and I would go there to, you know, if I needed to know the solo from an Alice Cooper song or something like that. And, um, from this kind of nice stoner teacher. And then one day he was, he was out ill and they sent me to the other teacher. And this guy was like a, a shred. Like I couldn't, I've never seen anyone play guitar like that. It was like hummingbird wings, like a, like a classical violinist. He was able to sort of shred on the guitar. And he gave me a lesson that had, you know, I was kind of hacking my way through stuff. And he gave me like sort of one page of, if you want to become technically adept on the instrument, Practice this stuff really slow, and when you master it, play it a little bit faster, and et cetera, et cetera. And it really was kind of life changing. That guy was um, it was Michael. His stage name is Michael Angelo. I don't know if you ever seen him. He's guy like has like four guitar necks and whatnot. It's this circus like incredible technique. But anyway, that gave me like at least some template to begin when I was practicing eight hours a day. And and for me, it wasn't looking back on it now and kind of psych one hundred and one evaluating it. In my mind, what I was thinking was. I want to be a person who makes records. I want to be, you know, I want to sort of join my record collection and make great rock and roll albums. Looking back, it, it was, there was a different sort of psychological itch that it was scratching. And I think it had to do with control. And, you know, I grew, I was like the only black person in the town that I grew up in. And Libertyville. Libertyville, Libertyville, Illinois. I, I literally yeah. integrate, literally integrated the town of Libertyville, Illinois, according to the real estate agent who helped my mom and I with some difficulty find an apartment there. Um, you know, and there were some, you know, with some dating challenges and, and this, that, and the other, and maybe some, you know, sort of family, like I didn't meet my dad till I was 30. There's a lot of sort of stuff, but when it came to the guitar, the only determining factor of how that was going to go was my will. And I had Why? will, I had will. <laughs> like, I yes, had you will. did. Yeah. I, I mean, will. 
and and that will is like the the thing you know i when you said i the guy gave me a bunch of exercises to do to become a good yeah. guitar player and he said do them slow and uh i always think of this uh, i i know a guy who is an expert at um he's a, a military guy he's an expert at drawing a gun and shooting on target i said mm. to him how did you get so good he said slow it, uh he goes slow is smooth smooth is fast that's how i feel about your guitar playing even though you're going fast and doing these wild things each note is very clear and the yeah. only way i in my mind i would get to that point in any art is to slowly play these scales over and Absolutely. over yeah. again yeah yeah and then it starts to move fast but you can't yeah. start yeah. out fast right you, you can't. can't it's it, impossible you, yeah yeah and that's the thing is like when the, the the best advice i ever got as a guitar player was a kid in high school um said you know and i was a really crappy guitar like when you start at 17 there's already a lot of guitar players who are better than you in your high school you know what i mean right. and he just said practice an hour a day every day without fail and he said it as an offhand remark and i took it as scripture and i did it like every day without fail and then i saw the tide begin to rise when i did that i said well what about two hours a day and i was like oh my goodness like this is like, I really do have control over this process. You know what I mean? And that commitment yeah. of pushing through when you're sick, pushing through when you have studies, like, I just was so determined. I just, I just trusted the process in a way, you know? <laughs> and I just knew that if I just kept doing that, that I was going to be able to at least have facility on the instrument. Now, facility on the instrument, here's the thing, is there's, there's, there's a very, in my view, there's a very, very big difference between musicians and artists. And I was becoming a very accomplished musician. I was wholly unable to write music that I liked. You know, I was able to kind of play like the people that I admired and, you know, had a technical facility on the instrument that was now impressive to some of my, you know, first of all, imagine like I'm, I'm not just practicing hours and hours a day at Harvard university. I'm a full on metal dude. Like I'm in spandex when I'm doing this people, I was like right. a, a unicorn, an insane unicorn. Like one of my roommates was a, <laughs> you know, a pre-med, one of them, you know, now runs the literature department at Yale. You know, one of the, one of them is a big fan of opera. And here I am like jamming along with Motley Crue and Grim Reaper records in my leopard stripe spandex pants with a bandana tied around my thigh going. Yes. Like, and it's I'm, crazy because you're at Harvard and you know, the psychology right. of Harvard is like, wait, I can cash in on this degree. I could get like, if I, <laughs> if I become a lawyer or a doctor, you yeah. know what I mean? The fact that you yeah. wanted to be a musician is so so incredible when you're yeah. going to harvard because you know it, it just it, it's almost like the i didn't have a choice though i didn't have a yeah. choice it was like it really was a calling like i f did not have a choice in the matter i had many interests you know prior to playing guitar and i you know i was a right I, mean, I never dropped my interest in political activism but that was sort of a strong strain as well but once i started doing that it really i went all the way in and you know i just felt that and then the the sense of the, the incremental uh, getting better incrementally was really attractive to me because then I would play, you know, you play a gig and all of a sudden you're able to play a Randy Rhodes guitar solo. That is one of my favorite ones on record. And I'd be like, you know, right. holy smoke. Like I did that like in a show, <laughs> you know, in front of <laughs> yeah, people who saw people. my fingers move like Randy Rhodes, his fingers once moved on, on the thing. So, right. Anyway. But it's true of any great artist. Like um, I like to paint and the guy who taught me how to paint, he said, you know what? I was the worst guy at drawing in my school. There were guys who could just fucking outdraw me. He's talking about when he was a kid. Yeah. He said, but I had one thing. I had this will. Like, I just wanted to be a great artist. 
Yeah. And he kept drawing and drawing every day, every day. And these guys now who were so naturally gifted, they're not even in the art field. He yeah. is the yeah. artist. He's the one who yeah. actually sells yeah. paintings. Yeah. But it's this constant drive. And you're right. You know, there's so many people when they learn to draw, they copy, you copy a Bonington, you copy sure. a Friedrich, you sure. copy a this. And that's how you learn. But at one point, you got to find your own style. You got to find, find your, your own, own voice way. It, it also takes a spark, too. And for me, that spark happened in high school when I was still a very unaccomplished guitar player. I was, you know, I grew up on metal music and I loved metal. And, but, but there was something about it that was, it was like you were supposed to worship the people on stage. You were not the people on stage. You worshiped the people on stage. And then for right. me, it really was punk rock music. It was the Sex Pistols, excuse me, never mind the Bollocks cassette. And right. I got that record and I listened to like the song Anarchy in the UK, you know, 20 times. And, and it was Great as powerful. Song. It was as powerful as any of the metal music I liked, but it was right. accessible. It felt like this is good, good a band as any band I've ever heard, but you don't need to own a castle on a Scottish lock in order to be in this band. You know, it made it accessible. You could play that. I could play that. Yeah, I could play that. Led Zeppelin's a little more difficult when you're trying to play Cashmere. It's a little Cashmere. bit more difficult. And also the vibe, right. like, you know, you know, when you listen to a Led Zeppelin record, you know there are castles and you know there are limos and you know there are groupies and you know there are $10,000 Les Paul guitars. And I had a damp basement. When you listen, <laughs> yeah. to the sec when you listen to the Sex Pistols, you hear a damp basement, you know? Hey, by um, the way, so, by the way, could you now, now that you're successful and I, I imagine you've made a good amount of money, could you live in a mansion? Would that be the? Would that go against everything you stand for? Would like your fans look at you as like, hey, this guy, he's a revolutionary. He's you know, he's he's a man of the people. What if you decided one day, fuck it, I'm going out full out Jimmy Page. I'm I'm buying a castle. <laughs> and I'm well, first of all, first of all, if it was Jimmy, image? if it was Jimmy Page's mansion, I would. I mean, right. first of all, it would might be kind of haunted <laughs> and spooky. So that one might be. Right. I'd have to prep sage that place. But no, I mean, I've, right. I've lived in the same house for about twenty five years, Howard. Like it's that's not that's always hasn't really been a part of the. Does it have to be that thing. way, Tom? Because you no. are who you are. No, you I mean I don't. I don't. I don't, ever, I don't feel. I don't feel those strictures. Like I am really. How, I mean, I'm just talking about wearing spandex on your show. I'm really comfortable in my own skin. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like, right. Like it's not. It's like the you know sort of the the idea. First of all, the bands. I, I'm proud of the fact that all the bands that I've been involved in and in my solo career have been. You know, while we sold a lot of records and you play shows, I've played as many shows for charity as I've played for money. You know what I mean? No, I and, know that. And you know what I mean? And 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 we've given away millions of dollars to various activist causes and, and things like that. And that is, you know, there's a mission. The, the the music helps to sort of affect a mission in a way. Right. It's one. It's you know. It's one. It's artistic expression. Two. It's connecting and communicating with an audience. Three. It's ch changing the world to make it a more decent and humane place. So those are the things that I kind of put. Uh, you know, at the forefront, but I want to tell you, you, gotta, I want to tell you a little bit more about anarchy in the UK. So, so because there's a mo because I think for for an art in order to, yes, I practice a zillion hours a day, but that moment of artistics, where the moment where you realize like this is a possibility is key. It wasn't when I heard it in the car. So I go into school the next day, and the drama club at Libertyville High School is kind of my world. So I go into drama club, and I. And I don't know how to play a chord on the guitar. I don't know how to play a note on the guitar. And I announce that a punk band is forming. I'm the guitar player. If you want to be in it, raise your hand. No experience required. Right. So a couple of hands right. go up and we're a band. 
And now in my high school, there are there are there are three bands, and we're the worst, right? There's a there's a there's a band there's a band called Destiny, and they are like the most beautiful men in the school with the most beautiful hair, and they cover. Ario Speedwagon and Sticks and the girls go <laughs> go mad go mad. Right. Yeah. yeah. Then there's then there's Epitaph and they're bad. They don't play any stupid sock ops. They play Sabbath covers right. and they smoke weed and we fear they're them cool. but we respect we respect right. them. And then there's my band, the Drama Club band, the Electric Sheep. That's my band. That's me and Adam Jones. That's me and Adam Jones. That's Great me and Adam name. Jones. We, Adam we Jones isn't that the guy from Tool, right? He's the guy from Tool. He's the yeah. he's the guy in that band. He and I are in that the guy band. Who says, we, the guy who says you were the worst guitar player ever. He says I was. Uh, he was there. He witnessed it. We were he, right. We witnessed it. So we so there there's a like a, a a school show where the bands the bands get to play. And now the de- for the rehearsals for the show, the Destiny guys they are they sit there. They're like a human jukebox. They're ringed by every attractive girl in the high school and are shouting out you know songs by bread and then they know them all they can play them all and everyone swoons the whole time me and adam can't tune our fucking guitars like we can't do it we just we can't yeah. tune the damn guitar so the night right. of the the night of the thing comes and we've been uh uh we're supposed to play steppenwolf's born to be wild that's like our job we we've pl- practiced it for months and we we're barely there so destiny comes on they play and they play like a an acoustic sort of a crosby stills nash and young song and everyone everyone's when they kill and we come yeah. out we come out like on a riser and we come out and the keyboard player comes in with the wrong chord and the bass player ha- plays the wrong note and i'm of course out of tune because i've never really learned how to tune the guitar and things are go- it's it's an inauspicious start to my music career all right it's an inauspicious start. but i do have a bit of a track and field background and I'm, and it, we're on a riser. And so I'm like, I have to turn, this is going very, very poorly. So when the chorus of the song comes in, I leap off the riser and the <laughs> roof, the roof comes off the fucking auditorium. People go crazy. Right. Like we don't sound good, but all of a sudden rock and roll is happening. And then I, I, I sense this and I, you know, right. I smell blood in the water and I start, you know, I start rocking out and people are going nuts and we finish the song and we, destroyed destiny's ass that night wow and i i realized at the end of that show i was like this is what i want to do i was and you also realized but you also realized how theatrical rock and roll is that that's correct isn't, yeah right there's an energy that you have to there's an energy yeah, it, it didn't it didn't matter that we were out of tune it's like like the, the holy spirit of rock and roll was in me and i you know <laughs> and i and i was able to hang on to it and i want to i want to talk to you about where you grew up in libertyville and stuff i find this fascinating and, and i think people have no idea the adversity you face but but answer one technical question for me i'm interviewing elton john a couple of weeks ago yeah and Elton was sitting, much like yourself, in his house. And I said, um, hey, do you have a keyboard? He goes, I have no pianos in my home. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any musical instruments in my home. He goes, <laughs> yeah. I play enough on stage that that's where 